This is Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Ecclesiastes 7, 15 through 18. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat too much honey, nor is it honorable to search out batters that are too deep. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a person who is wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. This is the word of the Lord. King Jesus, uh, this may be the first time uh, this week that we have been still enough to um, hear from you, that with all the chaos of life and all the pain um, and questions um, and schedules and kids and um, sin, that we write stories about you, we write stories about ourselves, and we are... Um, we're exhausted from not letting you tell us who you are, and in so doing, tell us who we are. And so we're here on this Sabbath um, because we need rest, and we don't need more sleep. Uh, our soul needs the rest of knowing who you are so we can know who we are. And so guide us now as we come to your word. Um, do for us in this time by your Holy Spirit what only your word can do, and that is to show us the real living Jesus, we pray. We pray now for the one who you've called to teach your word this morning, that you forgive him his sins, for they are many. Yes, this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you are visiting with us or uh, you've been gone all summer, uh, welcome back. What you've missed has been epic. Uh, we've been studying uh, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. We've been calling our summer series uh, The Way of Wisdom. This is the second to last week in that series. Uh, we'll wrap it up next week. Um, but what we've been doing each week is we've been taking Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and these two great books of Old Testament wisdom, and we've been putting on the lens of what they have to say about different topics. And so what does wisdom have to say to my desire? What does wisdom have to say to my money? What does wisdom have to say to my decision-making? What does wisdom have to say to my sex life? What does wisdom have to say to my emotions and everything in between? And so we've been asking for the Lord to make us wise people. But ultimately, each week, what we've been more desperately asking the Lord to do is don't just make us wise people. Don't just give us a set of wisdom principles Lead us to the person of wisdom who is Jesus. Lead us to the ultimate manifestation of wisdom, the, the embodiment of wisdom, that biblical wisdom would, would never end in a set of principles, it would end in a person. And so we've been asking for wisdom, the person, wisdom, Jesus, to speak to us, and how can we learn what it means to be wise 
in, in certain topics as we get to know Jesus. And so here's the, here's the topic before us this morning. Here's the, the, the idea of the morning. What does wisdom have to say to the topic of wisdom? Now, the risk of being too uh, existential or philosophical, what does wisdom have to say to wisdom? And what are the endless meanings of the universe? Um, let me tell you the basic question in front of us and what I mean when I say, what does wisdom have to say to wisdom? What does wisdom have to say to the very pursuit of wisdom? Do we need to be wise in how we even think about pursuing wisdom? In a summer of studying wisdom, we should at least be asking ourselves, what's the goal of all this? Like, what's, what's the end game? What's the purpose of spending a summer studying wisdom? The, the, the telos, if you will, to use the biblical term, the, the trajectory, the goal, the aim. What are, what are we pointing our lives towards as we gather underneath Proverbs and Ecclesiastes for summer and we say, hey, Lord, make us wise, teach us about wisdom. What, what is the goal? Is it to be wise? Is it to become a beautiful, giving, kind, patient, and loving person is it to help the world flourish? As Will said, is, is it to extend my circle so that I, in becoming more wise, I would become more loving and beautiful? Is it to eradicate the darkness of the world because now I'm wise and I have, I have discernment and I know what justice is and I know what wisdom is as it applies to my vocation to join Jesus in the mission of making all things new? Is that the goal? Or is it possible that even in the pursuit of wisdom, we become fools? Is it possible that in a summer of pursuing wisdom, we've asked wisdom or we could have asked wisdom to do something for us that it was never intended to do? Because Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes and most of Proverbs, would say to us this morning, it's wise to know the limits of wisdom. It's wise to know the limitations of wisdom. Look again at that first passage that Jen read for us from the opening chapter of Ecclesiastes chapter one. This is Kohelet, Solomon, the teacher, the preacher in, in Israel, who's written a bunch on wisdom. Listen to what he says about the pursuit of wisdom. Starting in verse 16 of chapter one, he said, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too was a chasing after the wind. Let's be real honest for a minute. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're married or single. I don't care how much money you've made. I don't care what Enneagram number you are. I know this. We all want something to protect us. We're all a bit like collector crabs or decorator crabs, as they're called. Uh, these are crabs that kind of live on the ocean floor, and what they do, their primary enemy is the squid, and they're, they're terrified of, of their enemy that would pursue and eat them. And so they literally walk across the ocean floor, and they gather bits that they can find across the ocean floor and stick them on their back to try to camouflage themselves with the ocean floor. If I can blend in, I can protect myself from my enemy's eyes. Here's the problem. They're really bad at it. <laughs> Not that they're bad at actually collecting stuff. They don't actually get to see what they've collected. And so they end up putting a bunch of things on their shell to protect them from their enemy. And they end up sticking out more <laughs> than if they had just not collected the stuff. They're putting stuff on them to try to protect themselves from their enemy. And they're not good at it. Is it possible that we're like that? 
that we want protection from the pain, we want protection from rejection, we want protection from heartache, we want protection from being needy, we want protection from being alone and from being judged. We want protection from all of our biggest fears, and perhaps ever so subtly, we would look to wisdom and knowledge and understanding to do just that. We want wisdom to save us and protect us from the pain. We want wisdom. Man, we're spending a summer in wisdom. We're looking at the Bible. The Bible can make me have all this discernment and understanding. And now I've got all these topics covered like wisdom or like anger and like sex and like money. I've got all these topics that I now, wouldn't you know, I fully understand all of these topics. Man, that's awesome. I won't ever be in pain anymore. And according to Solomon, here in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he would say, there is plenty that not even wisdom can save you from. And one of the hardest and last steps to take in the pursuit of wisdom is to know the limits and the limitations of wisdom. Look at what Solomon says. He says, I've gained more wisdom than anybody who ruled over Jerusalem before me, meaning I'm the wisest king who ever lived, which was true according to the Bible. He said, I gave my whole life to studying wisdom and understanding and discernment and folly and foolishness and madness. I wanted to know everything. And he said, and I did it. And at the end of all of it, I got to the end of my life and I realized even the pursuit of being more wise, even the pursuit of being able to understand the world and all of its nuances and gray areas, I gave my life to all of that and I did it and I climbed the ladder of wisdom and at the end it was, it was a chasing after the wind. In the end it was a vapor. In the end it was a mist. In the end it was meaningless. In the end it didn't deliver. That's the word that he uses. This too was meaningless. We've studied that word a little bit this summer because Solomon will say that about a bunch of different things. This too is a vanity. This too is meaningless. This too was a vapor. That word, it was vanity. It was a vain pursuit to try to gather all the wisdom and knowledge in the world. It was self-loving. It was egotistical. It was proud. It was arrogant of me to think not only that I could understand it all, but that if I could understand it all, it would give me what I wanted it to give me. Is it possible that in a pursuit of wisdom and knowledge and discernment, that at the end of the day, that pursuit could be entirely self-seeking? Is it possible that we hope the pursuit of wisdom, that the end of that would actually make us utterly self-sufficient? I've got so much wisdom, I don't need anybody anymore. I've got so much knowledge and so much understanding. I finally have gathered and I can discern and read and I know, I know how to do all the things and I know how to um, read the world with the pain and the sin and the righteousness that's in front of me. I can see it all with all these different topics. I finally have it. Man, I have finally arrived. I'm walking across the Jesus graduation podium. He's gonna hand me my diploma and he's gonna go, you've arrived, you've made it. Now you don't need me anymore. Is it possible that we actually want that? Is there secretly, subtly a desire to be so wise that we actually don't need any faith? Because the person who doesn't want any faith is actually what the Bible would call a fool. We've talked about all these topics. And it would be great to get to the end of all those topics so we would think, 
in a place of such enlightenment and understanding that the only person I need is myself. And Solomon here is looking at us. He's, it, the, the wisdom literature is very clear with all the passages that Jen read. It is so wise to know the limits and the limitations of wisdom. It's wise to know what wisdom can and can't do for you. It's wise to be aware of what you might actually be pursuing in pursuing more wisdom about any topic. The texts that we have for today say this to us in a couple different ways. He's already said to us that, that this pursuit of wisdom and the acquisition of knowledge is a chasing after the wind. It, it can't and it won't save you. You won't ever be able to arrive at utter self-sufficiency. But then listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes later on, the, the, verse, the section of verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I don't know if you caught it when Jen read it, but if this is the first time you've heard this, this, this verse, this is not the first time I've heard this passage, and I still can't believe it's in the Bible. I, like it's, it's really hard to believe, way more than all the sex erotic stuff that we looked at last week. This is shocking that a biblical author would say this in scripture. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 16. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? I'm sorry, What? Neither be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? The Kohelet, Solomon here, would say there's actually a pursuit of wisdom, there's a pursuit of righteousness, there's a pursuit of understanding that can actually turn against you. It can actually become a poison in you, and you wouldn't even know it. You would be destroying yourself by pursuing this great thing, being over-righteous, being over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Solomon is warning the reader about the over-pursuit of righteousness and the over-pursuit of wisdom. That what biblical wisdom is saying to us so ironically and so counterintuitively is that we can actually be so blind, we can be fools in our pursuit of wisdom and no one would know it. Have you ever met anybody? Because it's easier to talk about other people than ourselves. Have you ever met anybody out there asking for a friend that... Um, has had some like moderate success in something, has like garnered a little bit of success and notoriety. They, they've, they've been good at something. And then they begin to think that they're experts at everything. There's an old SNL skit. This is the way pastors' brains work, okay? This is, this is uh, probably not what the SNL writers had in mind. Uh, they didn't think it'd be used in an Ecclesiastes sermon as an illustration. But there's an old SNL skit with Will Ferrell that gets at the heart of this very thing. The idea that because I've had some success, because I've had some notoriety, because I have some wisdom in some area, that we can end up believing that we deserve the respect and we have wisdom in all areas. So the skit goes like this. Will Ferrell is in mid-level management, and he thinks that his truly moderate success status at work and life demands him respect at home, too. The family's eating dinner, and they have no relational intimacy or awareness or respect, and each conversation ends up blowing up with a yelling match at each other. And Will Ferrell, he will end the yelling match in each round of the, of the family fight at the dinner table. They're like clinking their silverware on the plate. He will end each round by yelling something so wildly unimpressive about himself at work that he thinks that demands that he be respected at home. Like, I'm, I'm a mid-level manager. I have 29 people that work for me. <laughs> okay. Or like, I drive a Dodge Stratus, which I don't even think they make those anymore. But it's like... I have, I have this little bit of success. I have this little bit of wisdom that I think in my own eyes, I matter at work, so you better make me matter at home because I deserve that now. 
I, 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 I have that now because I've had a little bit of wisdom here. I probably have wisdom everywhere and you should see me that way. It's the comical but serious display of the dangers of beginning to believe that one is wise in their own eyes, beginning to believe that one is self-sustaining, beginning to believe that one is self-sufficient, to believe that when one has gained some knowledge that one is entitled to or has gained all knowledge, to believe that one is wise in their own eyes, to begin to believe that one is wise in their own eyes will actually, according to the Bible, end up blinding you. Do not be over-righteous. Do not be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? In the New Testament, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals this man who was born blind. And he heals this man born blind on the Sabbath day, and the religious leaders are livid that Jesus would work on the Sabbath day to heal this man. And so they come to him, and they're fighting. It's this long story. It's drawn out, and, it's, and it, there's a lot of layers going on. And finally, the religious leaders come, and they have this interaction with Jesus. They're finally talking to him, and he goes, hey, you know what I did for that dude? I, I gave sight to the blind. That's what I came to do for the world, spiritually speaking. I came to give sight to the blind. Physically, yes. Also, spiritually. And they go, who do you think you are? are you, what does that even mean? Do you think that we, Jesus, need sight? Do you think we need spiritual sight? We're the religious leaders. And Jesus says to them, the fact that you think you can see is what makes you blind. If you knew you were blind, you would start to see. Solomon is saying what Jesus will say centuries later. Solomon is saying the same thing in the Old Testament wisdom. The fact that you think you can see is what makes you blind. The fact that you think your wisdom and knowledge is what allows you to see everything, that is what is keeping you blind. Listen to the, the blunt statement in Proverbs chapter 26. This was the last verse that Jen read for us. Do you see a person who is wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Do you see a person who is wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Let's make this real personal because I haven't had much financial success. I haven't had much business success. I, I, I get recognized in 12 South and that's about it. No one really knows who I am. I am, no, I am not a big deal. But one thing I can do is I can teach the Bible. The Lord has given me a gift to be able to do that. I know I can do that. I understand the Bible. And perhaps more than any of you, I'm the one that needs to listen to the heeding of Solomon here to know the dangers of being overwise or the dangers of being wise in your own eyes. The dangers of thinking that because I have wisdom and understanding in one area means that I'm an expert in all areas. Because I can so subtly, because I can teach the Bible. I have wisdom and knowledge about all things now. I can so subtly become wise in my own eyes. Ask my wife about that. Ask my kids about that. Ask my coworkers about that. So I'm reading a book right now of letters written by John Newton. John Newton was the, he wrote Amazing Grace. He was the 18th century British man, British uh, clergyman who was a former slave ship driver turned pastor and abolitionist and amazing. Um, he, he's writing, he has a book of letters. He wrote thousands of letters. It, it, they're profound. But he, in one of the letters that I read recently, he's writing a letter to another pastor. 
And he's warning this other pastor about the dangers of thinking what Solomon just warned us all about. Hey, you're a pastor. It's going to be really dangerous for you to think that you're wise in your own eyes. It's going to be really dangerous for you to think that because you understand the Bible that you now have wisdom about everything. It's really going to be dangerous for you, pastor, to be over-righteous and over-wise. And so he's writing to him and he says this as, a, as like a, um, a giant litmus test or a giant warning sign to anybody, but he's talking to pastors about who might begin to think that they have wisdom in all areas. He says, hey, run this test real quick. He says, I know nothing as a means more likely to correct this evil than a serious consideration of the amazing difference between our acquired knowledge and our actual experience. Or in other words, how little influence our knowledge and judgment and wisdom is having upon our own conduct. Because if we estimate our knowledge by its effects on our life, we shall find it so faint and feeble as to hardly deserve the name of being called a pastor. Hey, pastor, you can teach the Bible. You think you're wise in your own eyes? Let me just study your life for a day. Why don't you study your life for a day and see the giant disparity, the giant discrepancy, the gap between how much you know and how little of an effect it's having on your actual life. Maybe that will help you not be so wise in your own eyes. Or in the words of Paul in Galatians 6, 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Still sure you're so wise, Elliot? Still sure you think you have knowledge? The most foolish thing anybody can do is to think that they've arrived at full wisdom. (laughs) That's what fools do, is they think they're wise in their own eyes. That is it possible that one of the most dangerous places for the Christian to be is in the place of self-rightness, the place of self-achievement, the one who's figured out how to obey all the rules, the one who reads all the right books and all the right blogs, who posts all the right things politically and socially and theologically, but ever so discreetly, we become people who begin to believe that we are wise in our own eyes because we have done all the right things. And Solomon and Paul and Jesus would look at us and say, There is more hope for a fool than you. Why be over-righteous? Why be over-wise? Why destroy yourself? That possibly the best question to ask ourselves to try to discern if we think we're wise in our own eyes, the best question to run as a litmus test like John Newton would give to the pastor, look at your life. Maybe if you're struggling to know, man, do I... Do I think that some of my wisdom and knowledge and success and notoriety or my achievements, whatever that is, however we rank those things, that that has turned me into someone who's, who has become wise in their own eyes? Uh, there, there's two things. Uh, one is external, one is internal. Ask somebody who's close to you. Ask someone in your small group. Ask your parents. Ask your spouse. Ask somebody who knows you. Hey, do you tend to get from me this reality where I think I have some knowledge in one area, so that gives me the right to speak into all the areas of your life where I see foolishness? Do you experience me that way? Ask them that, and then don't talk. Here's uh, Here's the second internal question. What do you boast in? The word boasting is an interesting word. It's used all throughout the New Testament. It's used over 50 times. And, and sometimes the word boasting is used to try to express this, this arrogance or haughtiness. 
But most of the time when the word boasting gets used, it's actually the same exact Greek word, Will can tell you, he cheated off me, that, um, that, that it's the same exact word for, for rejoicing in something. It's the same exact word for reveling in something and, and glorying in something. It's, it's actually a great word. There's a sense of taking pride and joy in something, this word boasting. So maybe a better question is, what do you rejoice in? What do you rejoice in about yourself? What do you find comfort in about yourself? And here's what I know. I know this about everybody in the room, even if I can't tell you exactly what you boast in. I know that we all tend to boast, to rejoice, to glory in, to take pride and joy in whatever we've trusted makes us matter. Whatever we've built our life on tends to be the place that we boast in. The thing you boast in is the thing you think gives you meaning. The thing that you boast in is the thing that you think will save you. So I don't know what that category is for you. I don't know where you think you have all the answers. I don't know where you look down on others. I don't know where you think you have a wisdom and a vision and eyes to see and a wisdom that other people don't. But there is a place or an area in your life that you run to for internal comfort. There is a place in your life that you fall onto in your heart when you feel insecure because it makes you feel better than other people. And this place where you find comfort, it's usually something that we've done. It's usually something that we haven't done. It's usually something where we've had some success, something we've accomplished. But at the end of the day, we're so insecure that we end up having to boast or revel or take pride in something that makes us feel better and more secure than other people. It's always me looking down on someone that I've got Bible knowledge, so I'm more secure than you. It's something that we've done. And so just like a collector crab, we want protection from the pain, we want protection from the rejection, from the heartache, from being needy, from being alone, and from being judged. And we would all do well that the place that we, like collector crabs, try to build onto our shell to hide ourselves, to protect us from whatever it is that you want protection from, we build and we're not very good at it. And the place that we normally build on, the place that we normally try to cover ourselves with is not our favorite vice. It can be. But generally speaking, the thing like a collector crab that would put stuff on us to hide us, to keep us safe and secure, so we believe, is the place that we believe we are right and the place we believe we are wise, the place we believe we are better than other people. It has become to us our functional savior. That's what we use to boast in. And just like a collector crab, we're not very good at it. Actually, we stick out more. that when we become a people who boast in our accomplishments, externally or internally, if you're just someone who boasts to yourself about all that you've done and all the success you've had and what achievements you've been able to, to garner in your life, you actually, like Solomon would say, you're destroying yourself. You've become wise in your own eyes. You've become overwise. Why are you destroying yourself? It's wise to know the limits of wisdom. It's wise to know the limits of understanding and knowledge. And this is where the limits of wisdom would lead us because when wisdom runs out, faith begins. And so here's where the limits of wisdom would lead us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this has been, I've referenced this verse every week, even if you haven't known it. This is the verse where Paul says, Jesus Christ has become to us wisdom. Now listen to what he says after that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, and because of him... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, 
and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus Christ, who has become to us wisdom, not only wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, meaning this, Jesus Christ is your covering. His obedience is now our obedience. His security is now our security. So, do you want to boast? Don't boast in what you've done or what you understand or what success you've had. Don't boast in your ability to see the world better than other people. Don't boast in the things you haven't done that separate you from the people that have done it. You want to boast? Boast in what God has done for you in Jesus, who is your wisdom, who is your righteousness, who is your sanctification, who is your redemption. Boast not in what your hands have done or what your mind has understood. Boast not in what you have accomplished or earned. Here is your covering. Here is your liberation. Boast in what your Jesus has done for you. That one of wisdom's final uh, sentiments to us, one of wisdom's final declarations to us after all that we've studied in trying to be wise this summer, the wisest thing you can do is admit you're a fool. That our hope is not in wisdom. Our hope is in the one who is called wisdom. Our hope is not in our knowing. It is in the one that knows us. And he has become to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So if you want to boast, boast in him. Let's pray.